Hello and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bringing It All Back Home podcast. I'm your host, Charles, and thank you for coming back onto the podcast. Uh, this is episode, let's call it episode two, season three. Last episode was kind of a preview of season three, but I guess you could call that episode one of season three. So yeah, season three has kicked into gear uh, to to celebrate. I'm definitely going to be doing a live chat very soon, uh, which I've done every season uh, with uh, the good doctor, Doctor Wu. No, uh, our 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 friend, our pal, uh, Doctor Jerry. So uh, yeah, Doctor Jerry uh, and. Uh, he will be filling us in on some amazing stuff that he's been up to uh, since the podcast last uh, ended. Uh, he's no longer in Jersey. He's in another state north of us, uh, and he's uh, brewing up quite a lot of stuff. So I'll let I'll let him in, you know, and that episode kind of fill us in. But uh, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of art. Uh, there's a lot of manual labor. And uh, and it's uh, it's kind of cool. He's just found uh, a new magical um, occupation um, that plays into all kinds of uh, hidden talents. Although it's not really surprising with Jerry, he's always had uh, uh, kind of a renaissance um, way of doing things. You know, whether it's uh, running uh, lab experiments, uh, writing papers, or running. Uh, a brewery, you know, so there it is. The secret's out of the bag. Uh, you know, he's he's a brewmaster. Uh, he's putting together his own ingredients, his own uh, recipes for uh, for making his own beers. So, yeah, can't wait to, to touch him with him on that. But today, yeah, today I'm just going to go back to basics uh, here, going solo um, on this uh, perfectly miserable looking day. It's actually not that bad outside. Uh, today's December 6th. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit gray, uh, raining on and off, uh, windy, and uh, I've uh, just spent, I don't know, six or seven days in a row driving to work, and uh, ironically, one of the last meetings at work, uh, the big theme was uh, health and wellness, and I think it was at that meeting that uh, some kind of cold uh, may have uh, <laughs> I may have picked up, so that's always fun, working, uh, working uninterrupted, and then on your first day off... Uh, Getting some kind of uh, maybe some kind of uh, you know thing going around. I don't know. All I know is I'm really really congested right now. So uh, you may hear me slurping on some uh, some hot tea. Um, and if you're curious, it's a uh, PG, uh, the PG brand uh, from the UK. Uh, PG Tips, I believe, is what it's called. Uh, love this tea. Anyhow, I thought I would just come back, bring it all back home to a simple episode about an analog combo. Uh, that I've been using and I'm really, really happy with. So I'm going to take a breather, have a sip of tea, uh, and join me for um, Season 3, Episode 2, Analog Combo, The F Word. So in case you have not checked out any previous episodes about analog combos, um, let me fill you in. Basically, I'm just going to go over the camera, the lens, the film, and the developer uh, that I've been using. So uh, that's pretty much it, you know, the, the combination uh, that is working uh, or inspiring. And in this case, uh, it, is, it is definitely doing uh, all of the above. Um, it is working. It is inspiring. Um, this combo 
kind of may tickle some of the uh, under the radar, uh, you know, uh, areas there. You know, I don't think, ironically, I don't think this combo gets that much love. I don't think there's a single part of this with one maybe exception, which is the developer. Uh, That's pretty popular. But the lens, the body, and the film, uh, none of these are really super, super popular right now, which is a good thing. Uh, So I am going to talk about prices. I'm going to talk about eBay. I kind of like doing that on my podcast. I I don't shy away from, uh, you know, whether something costs an unreasonable amount, whether something was a huge splurge to treat yourself, um, or whether something was absurdly uh, inexpensive, you know, and a really great value. So, yeah, let me break the news. Uh, I am talking about the original classic Nikon F, the first F series, the original Nikon F, and uh, had my eye on this camera for a while, um, but you know, I guess it was about two years ago, kind of got swayed into the F2 instead. You know, the F2 seemed more appropriate, seemed more interesting. Um, people were raving about how they improved the loading system so much more, and. Uh, and yeah, and the F2 kind of fell into my lap in a way. There was somebody who had one of those classic eBay, uh, auctions where they took, uh, some really out of focus pictures of the camera, uh, had an incredibly low auction, um, starting price and had a really poorly descriptive description of the condition. So most people just shied away from it to like, this thing's probably jacked up. Uh, and I got it really, really, I got it like $60. So, so yeah, so I had my F2, uh, and I, and it was very good and I really liked it, but, uh, ended up having some shutter issues at, uh, one five hundredth and really bad shutter issues at one one thousandth. So didn't keep that guy too long. Anyhow, this is something different. This is the original F. And somebody I follow on Twitter uh, has often posted some beautiful pictures of his. His is the more expensive uh, all-black version uh, with the original Finder, the original Finder. So that, that is something that I think you have to talk about that. The original Prism Finder or Plain Prism. Um is really the place I would always recommend going. Uh, yes, you're going to give up metering, but you're also going to um, bring back into this camera its its original gorgeous design. Um, not to get too hung up on the design and the looks, but in this case, yeah, <laughs> I cannot um, really recommend any of the other finders that look like they just look like bizarre contraptions just simply to do a little uh, metering. Um, there's so many easier ways to meter and, uh, yeah, you, you guys know those easier ways, you know, it's, it's in, it's on your phone. It's a, it's a metering app or you could use the good old, you know, if you go out when it's sunny, you, you pretty much would have just two F stops, like throw it on F8 and keep switching around between like 250 and 500, you know, like it's, it's no, a no brainer. Um, uh, you know, some conditions are just play themselves out so easily with uh, sunny 16. Anyhow, Nikon F, uh, the original Prism, um, the original silver one. It was on sale uh, from a uh, eBay uh, person up in Ontario, Canada, and uh, and it looked good. It looked good. It, in fact, uh, I 
it looked really clean, like absurdly clean. Like that's one of the things people will tell you. Well, beware, you know, when you go look around for a Nikon F or a Nikon F2, beware. These were used by pros, and they're gonna have, they're gonna have beaten the shit out of these cameras. You know, they're gonna be in really banged up condition. Uh, I don't know if that's always true because mine's um. Looking nice, looking really, really clean. And yeah, there's a lot of backstory with the F. I'm not going to go all the way into it, but if you are interested, I would highly recommend going to Wikipedia. Um, this was a revolutionary camera. You know, this was the iPhone of SLRs in a way. Um, this was the camera that launched a million cameras. You know, in a way, this this was the most, you know, this, this, this brought to the scene, and I think it was 1959, uh, a very, very well-built, um, extremely reliable and durable uh, body that could take advantage of what would soon become legendary uh, Nikon glass, Nikon lenses. So that's what I got. That's the body. Uh, it ended up costing me after the auction uh, went down. Um, was it an auction or a buy it now? I think it was a. It looks like uh, looks like it was a buy it now um, for. $119, which, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, pretty cool. Um, it's a gorgeous looking camera. Uh, I especially like the way the Nikon logo is not only written on the front of the camera, but when you look down on it, uh, just above the shutter release and the, uh, where you set the shutter speed and the film counter, uh, it's that kind of retro version of the word Nikon. Um, the, the finder is huge. It's 100% finder uh, action, getting 100% view. Uh, it's really nice in the hand. It is. It's. It's a tiny bit weighty, but I, it's a super balanced camera. Not. I mean, in the sense that it's not like they're not worrying about trying. There's hardly any. There's no plastic in here. It's all. It's all. It's all like it's just brass, you know. Um, and, and yeah, it just feels absolutely terrific in the hand. So that's my camera, the original Nikon F, plain prism body, no meter. Where I went next was the lens and. I had been using an early uh, version of the 514, which I sold, uh, you know, when I was using the F2. And I'm like, let's me try something different. And somewhere on somebody's, uh, maybe somebody's uh, user group or or podcast, they had mentioned the uh, under the radar 50 F2. You know, the slightly slower one, um, a little bit lighter, and they claimed it was a much sharper lens. I'm like, sounds perfect. You know, let's go for that. So that was my next purchase. Um, picked that up for 67 bucks, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, $50, um, including, I guess, the shipping and tax. But basically, yeah, $51 was the lens. Love it. Gorgeous looking lens. This is one of the uh, the originals, the pre-AI. So this is a Nikon Nikkor H50 F2 pre-AI. Um, beautiful lens, and this thing was absolutely in mint condition. Um, the you know really really clean lens. Um, the, the the glass is just doesn't have any trace of haze, any trace of uh, cleaning marks. Um, absurdly clean, like without a doubt of any of of all the Nikon glass I think I've ever ever purchased online from eBay. And that, that, that probably adds up a, a bit, you know, and I'm not talking digital. I'm talking the ones for my original F3, which started this craze about 10 years ago, the glass for that, the 105, um, different versions of 50s I've had. Um, this guy's probably the cleanest I've ever seen. I'm looking at the eBay listing right now, and uh, it was listed as very nice lens, very nice uh, vintage lens, glass is clear, no haze, no fungus, 
no scratches. Uh, the aperture clicks nicely and the focus is smooth. Uh, includes the hood and the, uh, you know, that's it. Like, like no, I, I would have... I would have listed this as like unbelievably mint, you know. And and again, yeah, this was uh, this was one of those like make me an offer. He I think listed it for sixty. And typically pre AI people um, are desperate to get rid of them, including uh, it's just that they there's such a smaller audience out there uh, for pre AI non AI lenses um, that even though the lens may be worth. You know, it, sixty or more, especially in the condition it's in, uh, maybe worth a hundred. Um, they're a really long haul to sell them. It, there's just not a lot of people out there shooting in Nikon F ones. There's not a lot of people out there shooting Nikkor mats. There's just not a lot of folks out there um, who are playing around with pre AI. Um, but they're terrific lenses, especially if you're into that stuff. Uh, I would highly recommend going back to some of the original podcast from the Classic Lenses podcast, and also uh, that YouTube channel. Um, the uh, What are they called? Um, Westminster? Or what are they What are they out there? Let's see. Uh, Grays of Westminster? Grays of West... Yeah, I guess I did get that right. It's weird to say it out loud. Grays of Westminster. Um, they've got a terrific one all about... Um, what to recommend uh, when it comes to pre-AI, uh, what are the limitations of pre-AI lenses, how do you actually couple the pre-AI, I pre <laughs> sound like I'm adding three eyes to that, the pre-AI lens to the body, you know, uh, when you are using a metered prism, <clears throat> you know, there's this little dance you got to do with the way you put it on and, and adjust it left and adjust it right, kind of like, kind of like you're cracking a safe. Sorry about that little sip of tea there. So that's my first part of the combo. Uh, beautiful Nikon F with a really lovely uh, 50 F2. I've since uh, added another lens to it, but let me just start there. Let me just start for that. So huge fan of this purchase. You know, uh, $100, $120 uh, camera, $50 lens. Feels just perfect in the hand. The combination of these two... Um, it's a classic, you know, uh, like I'm, as I'm speaking right now, I'm sort of just balancing it in my right hand and balancing it in my left. And there's a magic here to the way this thing is just balanced and, and the feel of it. And especially uh, the, the lovely little original hood, um, the original Nike. It's truly a, a dedicated Nikon F2 F hood for it, um, which, uh, which I'm loving. Absolutely. Because that's absolutely my preferred way if, if you can uh, find a lens that with a nice hood uh, you never need a lens cap you know ever you know you just just leave the hood on and, and do your thing uh, and it's a great way to fly because uh, you're always ready to take a shot so so yeah uh, that is uh, the camera I can uh, let me uh, give you a little action here of the shutter sound did you guys hear that Nice. Yeah, that's a beautiful sound. Uh, so what about the film and what about the development? This place I'm in right now with my film um, has uh, 
has been a long journey. Uh, where I am right now with my film is I'm back to T Max land. I'm back to the to the the special grain. You know, uh, the grain everybody kind of hated <laughs> when it came out in the '90s. Uh, the purists, uh, and rightfully so, um, were not happy with the. I guess part of it was the flexibility, you know, like they were used to the tri triax having so much, what's the word, I guess, latitude, you know, of triax being able to be a little bit underexposed, a lot overexposed, uh, the ability for triax to, um, you know, do leaps and bounds when it came to pushing the film. Uh, and, and they knew their developer with it. They knew they could do, you know, HC 110 and they knew of course they could use D 76 and, uh, they could get all fancy with different pyro stuff and it had been around for decades and, and they just knew that. And then suddenly here's Kodak going, well, this is new, you know, uh, finer grained, um, you know, film we're going to introduce. Uh, and I think the bad reputation was that they, they, that developer combo they recommended, ironically, it was T-Max developer, of course, with T-Max film, uh, wasn't the best, <laughs> you know? Anyhow, fast forward, of course, to where we are now. It's almost 2023. Um, this is a fantastic film. I, I think, you know, I, I tend to go towards slow films. Um, I, I, um, I like going outside you know, when it's relatively sunny, uh, and, uh, I don't like, I like slow films. So, so I, I typically have been using, um, 200 speed films, which isn't really slow, but it's not as fast, of course, as, as 400. So that's, I had to, I had a, uh, a lot of the double X Kodak or really it's Eastman, I guess, East, Eastman, uh, Eastman five, I can't talk Eastman five, two, two, five. Um, basically the, the double X, uh, stuff, uh, that's a nice speed to work at 200. Uh, I've of course for a gazillion years, I've been shooting Ilford's F P four plus go to one twenty five, or you could rate it at 100. Um, and really that's, that's the, to me, that's the, the all purpose film. You know, like if, if I had to be on a desert island with just one film, it would probably be F P four plus. But, you know, like anything, if you, uh, you get bored of, of its, uh, you know, you just get a little bit bored. So I, so I figured, let me go back to T-Max, which I never really, really went all in on. Uh, I would typically order T-Max, you know, as the, as the occasional mix it up film. Like I would, ha I would order say 10 rolls of FP4 and maybe throw in two or three or four T-Max 100s. You know, I would never have a lot of it on hand. Um, and I might occasionally do the T-Max 400. What I got instead um, is a bulk roll of T-Max 100. So I've got quite a lot of T-Max 100 on hand. Uh, I tend to roll it anywhere between 24, 28 uh, shots. I don't usually go to 36. Um, so yeah, it averages out to you know, well over 20 rolls of film. Uh, and uh, it's great. You know, if I need to uh, shoot up some film, maybe just to test a new camera, I don't have to load even that much. I can load maybe just 20 shots or less. Uh, and if I really, really want to push it, sure, I could develop, a, uh, I could, you know, crank out a roll that does have 36. So bought a bulk roll of T-Max 100. That's my film. And just as a heads up, you save nothing when you buy Kodak T-Max in bulk. 
zero. <laughs> and so that alone just makes you go, it's a head scratcher. Like, really? So you're buying a bulk roll and there's no economy to it whatsoever. You're not saving any money. And, and yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm bulk rolling uh, a film that uh, there's zero discount on it. So, so that's not, you know, yeah, there it is. Um, I'm doing it really because there's there's a huge advantage to having a bulk roll uh, around. It, it, it just becomes more of a, um, more of like you just know you've got loads of film. You know, like you can shoot three rolls, shoot four rolls, take a break, maybe go into start shooting some medium format instead. You know, which is where I kind of go. I tend to do a you know a couple rolls here and there of 35 millimeter, change cameras, get some inspired uh, stuff maybe uh, from this new camera or an older one, and then I take a breather and I just start shooting 120 and uh, and then kick out the jams on medium format. And then when I want to go back into it, I don't even have to look in the fridge, as they, as they say. You know, I, I just know, hey, I, I've still got a bulk roll of 100. You know, and I don't keep tabs on how much I have left. I just know I have tons left. Because um, it takes a while. It takes a while to go through 100 uh, feet of film. One of the things that did surprise me as well, though, about the T-Max 100 uh, is that once I've developed it, Occasionally, I think at least three or four rolls in a row, uh, it was drying relatively flat. Uh, really shocked me. I got at least three or four sessions where I did not have to do the, um, you know, the uncurl thing. Uh, it, it just, you know, as soon as it dried, I cut it up, put it in the scanner. It wasn't, I wasn't getting into those weird uh, Newton ring uh, things. You know, everything was just lying nice and flat uh, and it was no problem at all. Um, that pretty much almost never happened with the double X, the, the Kodak double X and, and pretty much most of the triax I've used late in the, uh, recently, um, even the 120, uh, just tends to do that lateral curl, uh, which is a pain in the butt. Uh, so, um, so yeah, really happy with that. Uh, obviously if it's super, super dry, if, if, the, if my, uh, where I'm at here in this little studio, uh, if it is, uh, if there hasn't been any rain in a while and it keeps getting colder, then yeah, I, I, it's a, it's nearly a miracle that there isn't going to be some curling going on. And and uh, and just as a refresher, I talked about this a lot in season one and two. The curling I'm referring to is not that it curls uh, on up, you know. So if you were holding the the negative from the top, that the bottom is curling back up towards you. No, no, no. This is more like it's uh, it's Boeing, you know, they, so, so essentially, uh, there's like a lateral curl, you could say, uh, essentially when you put it, when you cut it up, uh, five or six, uh, shots on, on, on a single strip there and you lay it ideally flat on the, uh, on my case, the, the scanner, my Epson, uh, Epson scanner there, 550. Yeah. It's bowing up away from the glass. Uh, which presents really serious problems it, when you go get a scan done. Then suddenly there's this, um, there's like this, you know, alien ring appearing, running all up uh, the negative uh, or the shot, uh, uh, and it's it's not photoshoppable. You know, like like you have to start over and do that scan again. So yeah, really happy with that. Sur happily surprised that it's drying flat. You know, and I, and I expect in the winter if it's not to turn to the uh, solution 
which I think I've mentioned uh, last season, the solution, uh, which I did get from a same person I had mentioned before, this guy Aid uh, on Twitter, a brilliant British photographer, uh, has amazing medium format work. The solution is to uh, essentially re-roll it um, once, it, once it's flat, uh, re-roll it and put it back in a canister. So, uh, so let me see. I think I, I think I might be able to explain a little bit better. Um, you know, it takes out the concave and essentially like the shiny side of the film. Um, that's the one you want to kind of have on the inside uh, so you should be, as you're rolling, you should be seeing the matte side on the outside, as it were. You know, so essentially you're kind of like rolling it against the bowing. Um, and you basically put in a canister. I I found that even just an hour or two in the canister, it should be enough. Like you could try leaving it overnight. Um, but it, it's a fantastic solution because the other solutions take forever. So the original solution to the Boeing film uh, problem, not lying flat, would be, oh, yeah, put it, cut it up into sleeves and throw a ton of books on it, you know, and, and just have a huge pile of books on the sleeve. And and eventually it'll it'll just, you know, cure itself and and that's not true uh it it it, you could pick up uh that solution a day later two days later pull it out of the sleeves and they're still bowed a little bit so yeah that's a waste of time um this method by just recurling it um the opposite direction and putting it back in the canister uh is terrific the only downside is you just got to be careful uh because you could be reintroducing um dust you know, where there wasn't any, um, but, but yeah, that's fixable. So, so yeah, that's the film. Um, why T-Max 100? Again, it's a gorgeous film. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a glowy kind of um, nearly grainless film. Um, it absolutely is beyond gorgeous when you shoot medium format uh, to the point where it's this kind of I don't know, this kind of like mysterious blend of like, it looks like you're looking at digital medium format, but at the same time, there's just enough, uh, just enough uh, grain to of course distinguish it. So yeah, it's a beautiful, reliable, great film. Uh, wish it wasn't so expensive. Wish you could get a discount on the pole crawl, but you can't. Anyhow, moving on, um, where, uh, where this thing finishes up is the, the, the developing experience. So I have my vintage classic Nikon F, you know, the, the original F word, the, the first Nikon F. I've got their bold and brilliant and slightly uh, less weighty classic 50. I've got some Kodak black and white film, you know, and I'm out there. I'm doing my thing, you know. Um, I'm looking for the shadows. I'm looking for the light. I'm looking for uh, the the Sony 16. Um, perhaps using my phone app, you know, to get the metering. And I'm having a blast of a time, you know. I'm out there taking my shots. Boom. So so where do you go from there? Well, now the roll's done, uh, and uh, you just set the uh, on the Nikon. You set it uh, kind of like what you would do. You know, with a with a rangefinder, you just set the control to R. You know, and and you rewind the film. Um, and now I'm dropping it in my Patterson tank. And what I'm doing differently is, 
I am simply using stand development with a tiny, tiny bit of rotinol. So what I'm t- usually doing is I'll wait till I get two rolls, so two rolls of 100, throw it in the, uh, the, the standard universal tank, which can hold two reels of 35, mil- 35 millimeter. Um, you can fill up the tank, you know, roughly to 600 milliliter, you know, 300 each if you wanted to, um, guaranteeing that it's going to cover all the bases. And you measure out, um, you know, six milliliters of rodinal. Uh, so if you were, sh- if I was developing a tank of 500, you know, like say a single roll of 120, um, I would have five milliliters of rodinal. Doing 600 um, for the two rolls of 35, I'm pouring out simply six milliliters. So it's a super. Uh, it's just a lovely process shooting, um, I mean, developing with Rodnell and, and, and Stand because there, it's not like you're blocking out this 30-minute section of your morning or your afternoon. You, it, it kind of invites, you know, it invites you to be doing something else. So, so often I'll be like, I'll be editing photos uh, on the computer. Uh, I'll be finishing up breakfast. Uh, I'll be reading the news, you know. I'll be doing something. And to get started, yeah, first there's that good old task of loading the Patterson reels, um, which I, uh, I've i got a different method for, but I'll, I don't want to, I'll get to that in just a little bit. So basically I'm loading the reels in my, uh, you know, in my changing, uh, in my little bag, you know, I'm loading the the, the reels full of my T-Max. Um, I'm mixing up 600 of uh, developer, basically, uh, you know, six milliliters of the rodinol and the rest filling up my my uh my container with 600 milliliters of water you know or technically 594 milliliters of water um and stirring it up and ideally i want to keep it cold so i don't just pour i don't just trust what the cold tap water is if it's still not cold enough i'll throw an ice cube in there or two i want it to be a tiny bit colder than 20c you know uh, i'd like to get it started around 19c uh, i don't want to get it started at 22 or 23 i don't want to i don't want to start the stand development when it's already warm um, that's one thing i did discover better to start it cold um, and then, yeah, I just simply, uh, once I'm, uh, once the thing's stirred up and nice and cold, I pour it in to my Patterson tank and I walk away. <laughs> I literally, you know, start a timer on my phone or tell, uh, uh, my, my echo, Hey, you know, set a timer for 30 minutes. Uh, so I, I said I was doing stand development. So why am I only doing 30 minutes? Cause technically I am agitating it once during the hour, uh, so often people would then say, well, then you're doing semi-stand, uh, whatever, you know, it's still, it's still the same thing in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, so at 30 minutes, I will do a single agitation. I'll flip it up, turn it and put it right back down, um, set another timer for 30 minutes. So basically completing a full hour. So once the hour is done, uh, I pour out the developer uh, I run it under the sink for a little bit. I don't use any fixer. I just run some water under the sink for just a tiny, tiny bit. Uh, and then I use my fixer. Uh, in this case, you know, I typically have some fixer that I keep reusing. Um, with T-Max, you have to change the fixer a little more often, but but typically I'll get oh, at least, I don't know, 10 rolls out of the fixer uh, before I start to worry about it. 
Um, so yeah, pour the fixer in. And then, uh, then I can use a timer, uh, but lately I've been just sort of looking at the clock, you know, so every minute I'm uh, giving it about 15 seconds worth of uh, agitation, uh, or I sort of do it a little bit slow, like, and I'll be counting, like, do, do, one, do, do, two, do, do, three, and it pretty much adds up to about 15 to 20 seconds of agitation, then at the top of the next uh, minute, you know, I'm doing it again, so I usually with T-Max, we'll give it at least five minutes of fixer, if not six. Uh, it's nothing scientific. It's, it's, you know, it's all working out fine. Um, and then I'll let the uh, fixer um, finish its job, and I'll pour it right back into my containers to be reused again. Run the, you know, the, the cold water over my film for, for a bit, you know, to, to wash, do the wash part of it. Uh, while the wash is going on, I'm kind of cleaning up, you know, I'm kind of like uh, cleaning up the whatever is, you know, still laying around from the, from the developing. And then once the wash is done, I do a tiny bit of the sudsy stuff, you know, I think I have photo flow at the moment uh, so that it's, you know, hopefully, because my, um, where I live, uh, the water is very, very hard and, uh, and, and prone to leaving almost a kind of rust stain. <laughs> you know, there's a little too much uh, mineral and iron action in the water uh, that comes out of my building. So, so yeah, I found that uh, I, I can't just rely on, you know, not using some kind of photo flow. Uh, it, that was through a lot of trial and error. So I do use a little bit, get it all sudsy. And, uh, and then, yeah, um, I'm basically uh, wiping the photo flow off and letting it dry. So that's it. You know, so the, the big difference is that, Having that half hour gap, you know, and then another half hour gap where I could be doing anything, you know, I could be doing anything. I could be on the internet. I could be looking at um, my schedule for work. I could be doing something even more fun. You know, I could be engaged in um, just doing something fun uh, or, or interesting. Whereas when you do the typical process of developing, um, yeah, no, you, you're, you're, you have to stay focused, uh, especially the first mm, 10 or 15 minutes, you know, cause you're doing whether, whatever it is, you could be doing six minutes of development. You could be doing eight or nine or 10 minutes of development, especially if you're doing like D76 or ID11, those, those development times tend to be a little bit longer. Then you're making sure that you're doing, you know, whatever it is you do for, uh, um, for, for stop, you know, whether you, you have proper water stop or you're actually using like an Ilford stop, uh, and then you're going right into the fixer and, and all the rest. So there, there's no downtime. Um, what I love about the stand developing is there's downtime, but really the biggest reason, um, I'm using Rodinal, you know, at, at, uh, 100 plus one at, at this incredibly low, uh, low amount, you know, um, is because it is a, beautiful combination with T-Max. And, and I got turned on to this uh, from the Film Photography Podcast, um, the classic guys of uh, FPP. Um, this is, you know, something that uh, I think I think I uh, mentioned. So, yeah, this was on, um, if, you're, if you're interested, this is in Film Photography Podcast, you know, the, uh, the FPP. It's the podcast number 267. Uh, and they, that podcast is called like a uh, basically a, the FPP guide to black and white film developers. And um, 
Leslie was the one that was just raving about how stand development and T-Max, especially T-Max 100, is just such a beautiful combo. And it is. So this is just a crazy, uh, you know, thing about it. Like the most relaxed way you could possibly develop film at the same time is going to give you in unbelievably great results. Um, terrific results with 35 millimeter, astounding results if you use this combo, you know, in, in medium format. Uh, and even, you know, in medium format, um, I found that the stand was terrific for, uh, for Acros uh, and absolutely great for uh, FP4, which that was the one thing I remember way, way back. You know, I remember back in like 2015 or 16, I remember hearing that there were people out there raving about Rodnell and FP4, but I don't remember, I don't think it was necessarily stand. I think they were still doing the 25 plus one or the 50 plus one. Uh, but this stand development with T-Max is, is, is wonderful. It's just a wonderful combo. So that's it. That's my analog combo for uh, this episode two. Um, nice and simple, you know, just a classic camera, classic Kodak black and white film. Um, pretty much Rodnell is just about the most classic developer uh, alive today. You know, it's it's been in constant use for well over 100 years. Uh, the version I've been using is the R09. Um, and they, as you probably guys probably know, they last forever on the shelf. Um, so really, all you got to do is just make sure your fixer is still good. Make sure you have some working fixer. Um, the Rodnell, you don't have to worry about. It. You buy it once, maybe every two or three years. And uh, and get get yourself some T Max, you know. Try out the T Max uh, 100 uh, scenario. Um, if it works for you, it may not be for everybody, uh, but I find um, it's a it's an absolutely lovely film. Um, I can uh, post some results, uh, you know, to Facebook uh, if you want to check that out or all my uh, all my. Um, my Google Photos. Maybe I'll post a link to Google Photos on that. But yeah, um, again, thanks again for joining back into season three of bringing it all back home. Uh, and if you didn't catch the preview, this season will kind of build on what the previous two have been doing. Um, going to be checking in with friends and folks from around the world to see what kind of creative projects they're on uh, lately. I've got some really interesting uh, interviews uh, in mind. Um, things relating to, of course, photography, but also literature and even a very, very special one relating to coding. Um, that one I can't wait to get to. And yeah, um, the literature part you may hear on a couple more episodes. Um, some solo stuff as well. Uh, I've decided to, uh, to re-embrace um, the, uh, the former writer in me uh, who used to uh, aspire to all kinds of literary uh, delusions, you know, whether it was 16 wanting to be a beatnik, you know, like my friend Lori uh, keeps referring to. It's pretty much, we were, for some reason, a generation that came of age in the 80s was referencing back, you know, to the early 60s, late 50s, the Kerouac, Burroughs, Ginsburg, Corso, uh, and even on the fringes, you know, Paul Bowles, all, all those cool guys that hung out in Tangiers and in London and, of course, San Francisco. Uh, and we're a quirky bunch, you know, um, but very, very expressive and, and very, very part of the the Americans, uh, you know, scene outside of the World War II stuff. Um and I've not, and obviously I had other influences once I got a little bit uh, older out of high school. Uh, the good old uh, combo of uh, Arthur and Beau and Henry Miller and the Bohemia that was um, 
the Dada and Surrealists and Paris, all that good stuff. Anyhow, it's uh, 40 minutes in. I'm going to wrap it up right now. So again, thank you one more time for uh, listening to Bringing It All Back Home. And yeah, give me a shout out. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, some of your thoughts and ideas.